Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. And I'm delighted to have as my guest for today's podcast, Marion Barnard. You're very welcome, Marion. Thanks, Dermot. You might tell me a bit about your expertise, because the topic we've chosen for this podcast is anti-money laundering. You might give me a bit of your own background on how you've developed your own interest and expertise in this area. So it's come from the credit union, really. I was have been involved with the credit union for 20 years, briefly as an employee and then as a director for over 10 years and now I'm a training coordinator for the board and the volunteers. So during that time I've seen the development of the processes and procedures around combating money laundering and terrorist financing from where you know 20 years ago we had a piece of paper to fill out every week and most of the time it was just nothing to report and today the credit union has evolved hugely and it's like all financial institutions, very, very highly regulated. And combating money laundering and terrorist financing is really a top priority. So not only now for, I suppose, reporting suspicious transactions, but accounts are monitored, customer due diligence is ongoing, and there's really a risk-based approach used to comply to money laundering and counter-terrorist financing regulations by a trained person. So, you know, in my local credit union, there's one person whose job it is to look after the anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing. So I've I've remained involved with the credit union, and as part of my role as the training officer, I carry out annual training with the volunteers and board on anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing in the credit union mainly from a governance perspective, but also with an overview of the operational elements of it. So I now work in the not-for-profit sector as the CEO of a small charity, and there's much less awareness, I suppose, of our responsibilities around anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing. And there are certainly risks of not-for-profits being used for money laundering and terrorist financing, and there are strict laws to combat this, and the sector really needs to integrate systems to be compliant, yes, and we always want to be compliant, but most of all to combat money laundering and terrorist financing, which really does cause a lot of human suffering. When I was looking at this area uh, and anti-money laundering and terrorist financing, my initial reaction was, this doesn't really affect the non-for-profit sector. I could understand it for financial institutions and all of that. But the more I started looking at, and particularly was triggered by by the, the you know the profile that the charity regulator is, has on this area, I said I need to find out more about it. And the more I read about it, the more I said yes, it is something that we in the sector need to be aware of. So we might start off by just from what is money laundering and terrorist financing, just for for people maybe like myself that were very unaware. I would think this was something that criminal gangs were involved in. How what what. From your, your, your understanding, what is that? What is, anti, what is money laundering and financing terrorism? Yeah, and it is always good to start with a definition. So money laundering, first of all, I suppose. Money laundering is the process whereby criminals legitimise the proceeds of their crime by making it appear to come from 
a reputable source. So they have to disguise the origin of their money. It's recognised as one of the main crimes in the EU and a significant global issue. The Financial Action Task Force estimate that as much as 5% of global GDP is attributed to illegal activity and money laundering. And we'll be talking a little bit more about the, the Financial Action Task Force. You know, it's, it's certainly the case that most serious and organised crime is driven by money laundering profits. It creates serious damage to the economy and, of course, to, to its victims. Laundered funds are generated from trafficking in drugs, human beings, firearms, other illicit goods, fraud, cybercrime and criminal markets. So a lot of things there that charities, would, uh, not-for-profits, will be trying to, to work to help. So we certainly don't want to be, to be on, in the other side of the coin and helping the, the criminals involved. So then we have terrorist financing, which, which is a bit different. So terrorist financing involves the processing of funds with the intent or knowledge that the funds will be used to carry out an act of terrorism or any act intended to cause death or serious bodily harm. So terrorist groups often create infrastructures to facilitate funding channels, which they then use to finance their terrorist organisation. Terrorist financing can be similar to money laundering and that they also may be using illegal funds to, to raise money or to, to, to fund what they're doing. But uh, there is a difference in that they, they can also often use legal funds to fund the terrorism. So it can look perfectly legal you know, from the outside, but then when you look a bit deeper, the end result is, is the terrorism. The terrorist financing in particular may involve fairly modest amounts of money. So you know, sometimes systems focused on larger transactions um, for traditional money laundering may not capture those terrorist financing activities. So the, what, the things to look out for are quite different with it. Very good. And that figure of 5% globally GDP, it's, it's a huge figure. So I can understand why authorities are around the world, and particularly um, closer to home, are increasing their attention to put it on. So what sort of things have been happening at an EU level and, and, and in Ireland in terms of strengthening the, the, the armoury available to the state and, and to organisations to deal with money laundering and um, terrorist financing. Yeah, and, and I mean, I suppose it is a global thing and, and the world has become much smaller. So, you know, definitely at a global level, it's been addressed, first of all. And that is, the, as I mentioned before, the Financial Action Task Force. This is an international body which is responsible for combating money laundering and terrorist financing across the globe. So companies join up to that in their commitment to working together to solve these these crimes. So they initially set uh, anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing recommendations um, that all of the states who have signed up must adhere to, and then they measure the performance against those recommendations. So it's a really good place to look if you're inter- you know if you're interested in or if you need to be in your in your organisation in what's going on globally. There are some recommendations in there for not for profits to provide the uh, the not for not for profits with uh, guidance and on combating anti money laundering terrorist financing. Then on a European level, then the major EU anti-money laundering directives are issued then to the EU states based on the recommendations from the Financial Action Task Force. And the fifth EU directive is the one that we're on now, and that was passed in 
2021. So then at a national level, then legislation is passed to implement the various EU directives. So as I said, we're actually on the the fifth directive now, which is the, the act that we're concerned with then is the Criminal Justice Act 2010. The legislation is focusing mainly on on financial institutions and various regulated professions such as lawyers and accountants and that those are classified as designated entities and there's a you know very heavy regulation around that so charities not for profits are unlikely to be designated entities so you know we don't have such a high level of regulation around that but we certainly do have obligations to fulfill and that's what sort of what cracked my interest in, in this topic? How would charities and nonprofits get caught up in this whole thing? Because you know, as I said, my my view of the world was yeah, it was those designated entities, the financial institutions, the the the, the solicitors, the, the the accountants. But um, and I sort of saw parked it out there. But now it, it sort of seen that the charity regulator has issued guidelines. What sort of practical ways could charities and nonprofits get caught up in this thing, and that they need to be aware of our our need to have mechanisms in place to prevent being caught up yeah well i suppose the the risk to most charities and not-for-profits is classed as medium to low uh because you know by their nature i suppose it's it's money laundering It's, it's all related to money and you know most charities don't have very complex income and outgoings financial systems really and once the controls are in place you know your internal controls you know, under the governance code, all of the things that we, we learn about all the time for running our charity. Once those are in place, then you have good protection. But some charities do have a higher risk profile, and I suppose it depends on the activities of the charity. So, you know, if, you've got, if you do have a charity that is operating abroad uh, into high-risk countries, countries that don't have, that are not signed up to, to the, the task force, that don't have those anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing procedures and regulations in place, then you are automatically at a higher risk and you do need to be integrating that into the systems. So the charity could be used to, you know, the money could come in and be sent to a foreign bank and the charity, you know, mightn't necessarily know where that bank is and what the, that you know they mightn't have visibility of what's going to happen to that money so the charity does have to or the not-for-profit has to you know do its due diligence I suppose and find out you know exactly what the funds are being used to where it's coming from and you know there is a, a legal requirement to to find that information out. So again not to be too trusting and I I, I recall some issues when you know with say in Ukra- the Ukraine the terrible war in Ukraine and there's a number of organizations that were trying to help um, or set up to provide help to people in Ukraine and the charity regulator was a bit concerned about what were the oversight mechanisms where was the money going how aware where and how familiar were the charities here in Ireland with the, the, the third parties they were engaging with on the ground that, that the money that was maybe raised for, for um, relief relief um, over there wasn't ending up into other areas where it shouldn't so I think it's that was part of brought it home to me that sometimes we don't join the dots but we do need to be aware of it so what sort of mechanisms should 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 charities and non-profits be putting in place if the may be a potential risk well i suppose every charity should at least bring it into the conversation in the boardroom do you know is this something that is um, a risk in our charity um 
so it needs to be addressed at board level and by management. Uh, I think you know it needs to be part of your risk management system these days because even if you're not a high risk charity, you may have um, there may be things going on that that you might you because none of us are trying to invent ways of laundering money or finance terrorism, but plenty of criminals are. So you might have something in your organisation that is a risk. So uh, you might know, maybe you might have new suppliers coming on with a new service and, you know, different ways that they might want to be paid in different ways. And so any kind of changes to your existing systems need to be looked at from the perspective of money laundering and terrorist financing, as well as other things like GDPR. So anytime you make a change in an organisation, those kind of risks come up. But anyway, the main thing is to identify the money laundering and terrorist financing as a risk in an organisation because I think charities don't really think of it as a risk. So then, as part of that, then look at the high-risk activities and make sure that you have the controls and systems in place to mitigate that. I think also training for staff so that, well, all, for all uh, stakeholders in a, in a charity or a not-for-profit, training is really important so that people know to look out for these things. So if you're getting large donations with no apparent donor, no donor identified, lots of small little donations with um, maybe a particular terms and conditions apply to uh, complex financial transactions going on in an organisation. So either, you know, the board, management or staff need to be aware that these could be indicators and there is an obligation under the law to report suspicious suspicions on, on money laundering and terrorist financing. The interesting teasing that because as you were talking, I said we don't have anti-money laundering and terrorist finance and our risk register. What would be the, the sort of activities that typically that you would put you that this is a significant risk that you do? That you know, you know, is fundraising, I suppose, is one. But what are other things was charities need to be watch out for that potentially that they could get exploited or taken advantage or, or um, pressurized into? Yeah, possibly maybe a large do- large donations with with terms and conditions applied. You know, and, and sometimes you do get donations with obviously to be used uh, in a certain way in your organisation, and most of the time that's fine. But if it does seem a little bit strange, if it does seem to link in with something, if it seems to maybe link in with paying somebody, so say somebody gives a large donation on the condition that a, uh, the work is carried out by a particular company or something, that could very well be um, money laundering. Or if you're getting lots of small donations uh, with the condition that it's going to fund maybe an organisation with a base in, you know, a country with conflict, don't to name any particular country. But, you know, that if something looks a little bit odd, then there's a possibility that it is an indicator of um, these activities. And, you know, if you're, if you're not... Um, if you're not aware at all of it of, that it could happen then you're not going to it's not going to enter your head that this could be the case so you need to so the training I think for for people to to know that that it's something that's going on it's like cyber security as well I mean those types of things creep up on you you know and then you, unless you do training you're not kind of you don't have the vigilance in the organization yeah, I, I think you're right right I think starting off creating greater awareness and, and using that example of cyber security we were naively said well, charities won't be targeted, and that was sort of innocent naivety because if there's a way of of, of making money, you know, illegal, these are criminals. Doesn't matter whether you're a charity, but an excellent um, 
track record and do, doing what you're doing. But if there if if you have weak points, they will exploit them. So I, I say it's the same. You just say with money laundering or terrorist financing, if it's something unusual or something different, it's the awareness that this could happen. But also then, as you say, training training um, staff, making them aware so that to question something that's out of the norm, that this is, is, is this legit or what's, why is this particular condition and not to take it at, at, at face value. So what would happen if you do have that suspicion that you might be used for, 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 for spurious reasons or illegal reasons if, if a charity suddenly says, we, we got this donation and we, in good faith we followed through and we sent the money to, say, another country um, to... Um, but we're we're worried about the source of the fund or what or what's happening on on the ground. What 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 would be the practical steps? What should they do if they well, think if they even have a suspicion that you know that, they, that there might be something wrong here? Yeah, I mean, if if there's a suspicion that there is criminal activity going on in an organisation, then there's a legal obligation to report that suspicion to the guards. Basically, that's your first port of call. Um, now, if you had a large organisation where the risk profile is high for this type of behaviour, then it would be a good idea to have an internal process around that. So you might have a a policy on um, reporting suspicions around anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing and have an internal person then who looks at it and assesses it and then passes it on to the authorities. Are there particular types of transactions that would... but raise such a suspicion that that you but suddenly the, are are, any, are there patterns that to you know if you are the person said that you you become more aware of anti money laundering but and you look at things uh, that are happening in your organisation are the, are there indicators that there's something might be a bit untoward that you can use to sort of investigate further yeah and lots of cash transactions um transactions maybe uh, checks coming in um maybe it's a corporate donation but the check is coming from an individual person um you know complicated transactions within a charity um you know anything that kind of doesn't feel right to a person and you know and usually these things are uncovered by staff or people on the ground so the person doing the accounts might notice strange transactions in the account that aren't properly explained um you know the 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 board may become aware of larger things like large donations but small intricate little transactions going on mightn't come to the attention of the board but somebody filling in those spreadsheets might be saying this just this doesn't look right and it all seems to be coming from the same person from the same address maybe lots of different names you know anything that kind of doesn't fit with with what you feel you know some of it's a bit of a feeling i suppose to make a suspicious transaction report you need to have some sort of logic to back it up i suppose you can't just say i have a feeling this doesn't look right but sometimes the feeling is is part of it as well you know you just think this isn't right you know and when you look into things a little bit deeper so and again with money laundering there may be an element of money coming in and then money going out you know because obviously they're trying to clean the money and then the counter-terrorist stuff is is a bit different. It could be, you know, like it could be look as if it's coming from a very legitimate source, and then it, it's gone out to something totally illegal. And because this, uh, for people like me, it is a relatively new area or a new area of consciousness. Are there resources available? Or sort of, you know, I wanted to find out practical steps for, say, in Carmichael, what we need to do. Are there easy to understand resources available out there? 
Well, as you said, the charities regulator has issued guidance, and that ha- you know that's got a lot of common sense stuff. So it's about having your policies and procedures in around internal controls. You know that if you've got good internal controls, you will spot things that are. You know, if something's going wrong, you will spot things. If there, again, risk management, you know, looking at high-risk activities, like any cash activity is a high-risk activity. Looking at new processes and procedures, really every process and procedure should have new, um, have a bit of an assessment done on it, you know, around things like data protection, cybersecurity, and now anti-money laundering. So it's just, I think awareness is, is a big thing. Um, you know, it's going to become... It, it's just going to, like, it's coming up a little bit now because um, we're talking about it probably because the regulator has issued the guidance, but the legislation has been there for quite a while and I'm not sure that um, charities and not-for-profits have been aware of that. And I think that this is going to be something that is, um, you know, there will be other kind of requirements coming down the line. I think it's just it's like all the legislation that's been happening over the, the last decade or so. You know, this we are going to have to put systems in place. It will be that something like GDPR, we're going to have to put it in place. When you talk about resources, there's lots of... I mean, you can look up the, as I said, the Financial Action Task Force website. is really interesting. Um, they talk about charities, set, sham charities being set up purely to launder money and to um, finance terrorism. So, you know, obviously for most organisations, that's not the level that you're looking at and it can be a bit frightening. Um but, yeah, so, you know, it's just going to be one of those extra things that we have to now take on with compliance. Unfortunately, it's difficult with the limited resources that the sector has. And it is a good idea to have somebody who is designated to, you know, keep an eye on this type of thing, have a compliance officer if you've got the resources, at least have a governance and compliance committee if you don't have uh, the resources to allocate a particular person to that. And, you know, have it included in board minutes or minutes of the governing um, management committee or whatever. the It depends on the size of the organisation, what resources you can put to it. But just know that it's something that can affect an organisation. And one of the things, that, again, that brought this to light was, was the organisations making the return to the charity regulator where they had to report money they received from overseas um, and that for me sort of sort of they had to provide a whole lot more information so again from that being known where your source of the funds who gave you this money and for what purpose and and that the regulator is going to be looking at more and more at that pattern so you do need to be conscious that you're going to have to account for money that you got overseas and vice versa money that you send overseas and what what the the, the protections you have in place so it is becoming a real thing for a lot of organizations that will get legitimate funds from overseas but there will be a scrutiny on it, so you know, good good practice to sort of is it legitimate? You may think it's legitimate, but make sure that it is. Um, and and that. people listening to uh, and probably people like myself that hadn't really had uh, anti money laundering and and ter- on their radar uh, and in terms of like the risk register or thing, what would be your advice for sort of um, the non profits out there? To, what what sort of things should they be doing? Um, or, or think start, start doing. I suppose have it as just something that's, uh, I suppose, on the agenda, first of all, and then, you, you know, decide whether it's something, you know, where it's, what kind of priority you need to give it in your organisation. So really it's to assess the, the risk in your organisation. Um, then I suppose, you know, even if it's 
a relatively low risk. You want to look at your activities bearing in mind the risk of money laundering and so looking at you know large transactions making sure that you identify funds but these are all going to be in your internal controls anyway what you do I suppose one thing you do need to do uh, within an organization and I'm sort of taking my lead from the credit union here in the financial services sector is is to you know the credit union would talk about knowing your members so you need to know who you're working with so know know your board so there's obviously the uh, beneficial owners register now which we're required to fill in if you're a company and even if you're not a company you should be keeping a register of beneficial owners and your directors and your senior management your CEO and directors will all be part of that so you need to make sure you verify their identity which sounds crazy but sometimes you you know you recruit people and, and you look at their CV and you see them on LinkedIn but do you really know that's real you know and I don't want to be make everyone be suspicious all the time but you know there, it, it is a requirement now and it kind of makes sense. So get people's you know, ID, proof of address, fill in the beneficial owner's register. You also need the PPS number. Things have to match up there, so it's a kind of a check. Uh, so you're knowing who's governing the organisation, which is obviously the most important thing altogether. But also you know, know who your members are, so who's, who's involved with your organisation and you know, where do they come from. And it's a, that's relationship building. You're not going to go out and get ID and proof of address of each of them. But know, you know, what their motivations are, what they're doing in your organisation, who they are. So I suppose that's about communicating and having meetings and, um, you know, building that relationship up. Know who your donors are, so who's um, interested in or, you know, in donating to your organisation and know their motivations are, are pure, if you like, and that they want to help with your charitable purpose. And if they seem to be coming from a totally different direction, why? Why is that? Know your volunteers. So... You know, use a holistic approach to that. It's, you know, not, you don't want to be being blunt and, and ask, send out a questionnaire that they have to fill in or anything. But, you know, you do need to have some due diligence around those things. And, of course, we're being made to do that with, with the higher level stuff. But it's important for everybody, really. And then where you do see the risks are greater, then you do need to have that enhanced due diligence. You need to do a little bit more investigating, put new you know more processes in place look at the risks and put your controls and mitigants in you know to use that language but risk management is a really good tool you know it does seem sometimes a little bit corporate or something but it is a good way of looking at you know running the organization yeah, I think that's important. As I say, your, your approach to risk management and any of the sort of risks you know the first thing could this happen here um, and, and, and be sure it couldn't happen. So I think part of that is getting greater awareness of the nature of the risk uh, and not being naive and thinking it could never happen here. So, so first of all, you know, how this could potentially happen. And I think, you know, educating yourself in, in a, um, about this risk, you know, part of probably to do this podcast, but we're also planning to do some training in this area as well. I think it's also is to create a greater awareness of the nature of the risk um, for, for organizations because you know it can can happen it does happen that organizations have been victim to this and it can have lots of serious consequences for for, for the organization so man this has been great you know it's been very educational for myself because as I said I've come from this but I couldn't happen here or you know we're not at risk to sort of this is something that we do need to assess and it may be that we, we're, we're relatively low risk but I think part of it is understanding that it is a risk out there and it's a growing risk and we need to make sure that our, 
our controls and our mitigants, as you say, are robust enough to be able to address it. So thank you. It's been fascinating. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofól. Go